0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to Ask a Horse Live. I'm your host, Michelle Anderson, digital managing editor of The Horse. Tonight, we're talking about bits, bridles, and equine welfare. Your horse's head, face, and mouth comprise sensitive nerves, bone, and soft tissue. While many of us focus on saddle fit, bridles and bits often get overlooked as causes of discomfort. Bits can cause mouth pain and injury and result, and research shows that nose bands are often adjusted so tightly that they are to the point of cruelty. Is your horse wearing the right bit and bridle? To help us find out, we're joined uh, tonight by researcher, veterinarian, and USDF gold medal earner, Dr. Hillary Clayton. Welcome Dr. Hil- Dr. Clayton.
1: Well, hello, Michelle. Thank you very much for inviting me. I'm looking forward to this.
0: Well, we're so excited to have you. Um, and I'm excited about this topic. I think I shared with you a little bit earlier that I have a horse that for the past five years struggled with uh, head flipping and rearing behavior and finally got her bit figured out. And it's really changed uh, how she goes and how she enjoys her work and how I get to enjoy her and feel safe uh, when I ride her. Cause I definitely did not feel safe when she was flipping her head and rearing. So this topic to me uh-huh. is is really important. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your interest in, in bit and bridle fit?
1: Yeah, well, I started doing research on horses about 40 or 50 years ago. And at that time, you know, every horse had his own saddle and bridle and nobody cared very much about how it fit. It just, it was, you know? Um, but I was always interested in studying what we might call sports science in horses. And over this last 40 or 50 years, we've had lots more equipment and tools that we can actually use to measure some of the things like the pressure under the bridle, the tension in the reins, um, those kinds of things. So it's something I've always been interested in, but I think in the past, nobody thought about it or we didn't have the right techniques to actually measure what the horse was feeling. So it's been a very exciting time to be involved in this type of research.
0: And do you find that horse owners and trainers are becoming more aware of the importance of fit?
1: Oh, absolutely. People are becoming more and more aware of the horse's comfort and the welfare implications. So I see these as very positive changes.
0: Well, I want to give everyone a quick review of our Ask the uh, the Horse live format before we get started. We're going to begin with questions that people submitted during registration. If you have a question that you'd like to ask live or you'd like a clarification on a response, you can enter that in the chat window in front of you if you're listening uh, to us on your desktop computer. We're going to do our best to get to as many of your questions as possible. If you happen to be listening to our archive or our podcast and are interested in joining us, uh, for one of our live events, you can register to receive our announcements at thehorse.com or visit thehorse.com slash as a Horse Live. Uh, you can also find uh, these archived podca- podcasts on iTunes and subscribe if you want to make sure that you don't miss any of them as we release them on iTunes. So with that, I'm going to jump in, Dr. Clayton, and get started. Our first question is from Margaret in California, and she wants to know, are there bridal fitters like there are saddle fitters? And if not, should there be?
1: Well, actually, yes, there are. Um, one of the bit manufacturers, Neussure, started an academy. And through that academy, one of the things they do is offer a whole course in bit fitting. And I think there are actually two courses, one for interested horse people, and then one for those who want to become professional bitfitters. And I believe it's a six-day course. Um, part of it's given online and it covers things like the anatomy of the horse's mouth and how you actually fit a bit and how to evaluate new bits and explain the action and effects of the bits to clients. And we do have a few um, certified bit fitters in the US.
0: Okay. So is it more common in Europe to find bit and bridle fitters?
1: Yeah, that's where the um, certification program originated in Europe. So I I think more European people have probably taken it, but it's absolutely open to everybody.
0: Uh, We have a question from Mikkel in Texas, and she wants to know if a writer has knowledgeable, sensitive hands, how much difference does a bit really make?
1: Yeah, it's a kind of a chicken and an egg question. Like we're always, riding is a very humbling sport. We're always, all of us, striving to be better riders, to be more sensitive and more balanced. Um, And the more sensitive your hands are, then I think the better able you are to feel the differences that a bit makes. For a novice rider, it probably doesn't make much difference because they can't feel the subtle effects that change when you change the bit so that's what i mean by you know kind of a chicken and an egg i do think that horses respond differently to different bits but unless you're sensitive enough to feel that then you know you're not just not going to notice
0: so what are when we're talking about a rider's hands um and them having good or sensitive hands um, is there a difference when we're looking at different disciplines, like uh, a dressage rider versus a western rider versus maybe a hunter rider? Are they going to have different levels of contact with their horse's mouth and using the bit?
1: Yes, they're absolutely going to have different levels of contact. And maybe I should start now by um, explaining what happens when the horse is on the bit. So. If you ride the horse on the bit, you have a certain amount of contact with the horse's mouth. And that's, I, I believe, an agreement between that particular horse, that particular rider, and that particular tack. And then as you ride the horse, let's take the trot as an example. In every stride of trot, the horse bounces up and down twice. So he goes down when the diagonal legs are on the ground and he bounces up into the suspension or aerial phases. Now, when the horse comes down in the stance phase, the front legs are controlling the position of the base of the horse's neck and when the front legs stop the base of the neck from going down any further, because that neck is kind of cantilevered out in front, it's sticking out in front of the horse's body, the neck and the head nod down a little bit after the rest of the horse's body has been stabilized at its low point. So if you put a side rein or a very stable rider's hand on the end of the reins, the horse is going to nod down into the rider's contact and at trot it will be nodding down twice in every complete stride. So the horse and rider establish their own baseline contact and then superimposed on that we have the horse nodding into the rein and that causes in every stride two increases in rein tension that are not to do with how much the rider is pulling on the reins, they're simply to do with the mechanics of the horse's gait.
0: And so our next question is from Robbie in New Mexico. And well, we have two similar questions. So Robbie in New Mexico wants to know, how do I know if my bit is comfortable for my horse? And Leah in New York says, how do you know if your horse likes their bit? Um, So how, how can we tell that they're comfortable and what are some signs that they might not be comfortable in that bit?
1: Right, so a horse that's comfortable in the bit and comfortable with the hands that are at the other end of the reins is going to go calmly. He'll have a quiet mouth and he'll be responsive to light aids on the reins and that's ideally what we'd all like to have. Um, The horse that's not comfortable will show there can be um, various pieces of a whole set of behaviors that indicate that the horse is in some way uncomfortable. Now, these set of behaviors, and I'll talk about what they are in just a minute, they are not specific to mouth pain, right? These these behaviors might be associated with mouth pain. They might be associated with bridle pain, with a saddle that doesn't fit, with a lameness that hurts. So they're a fairly general set of signs, but they include things like an unsteady head, a neck that's moving a lot, may be up and down, side to side. It won't go consistently to the bit. There may be tail swishing and then there are quite a few facial expressions that go along with pain or discomfort and those they're actually sort of surprisingly similar in all species. All, all animals tend to frown a bit when they 're painful or unhappy when horses frown, the upper eyelid sort of tents towards the center of the horse 's face so it 's like a um, a little v shape in the eyelid pointing towards the center of the head. Sometimes they close their eyes partly or even completely. Um, more than would normally be expected. You might see tension around the nose and the mouth. The nostrils may be more flared than they would need to be for the sort of breathing rate and exertion of the horse. Um, the lips can look very tense. Sometimes the upper lip gets retracted. You can see the horse's teeth. Um, when the lower lip is tense, the horse's little chin gets very prominent. So those are all things that the horse might, oh, he might open his mouth as well, that's another important one, or um, pin his ears. There are a whole lot of these signs of general sort of unhappiness in horses, and they can be associated with pain from the bit.
0: So with my mare that I struggled with, Dr. Clayton, I um, I think I put probably 15 different bits in her mouth, and. Finding the one that she was comfortable in, I noticed that her mouth was quiet. Um, so I'd put the bit—I'd put a bit in her mouth, and she would fling it with her tongue and do lots of movement in her mouth. Um, is that something that's unique to my mare, or is that a sign that the horse is uncomfortable, or do we want a horse to play with the bit and move their tongue around?
1: Well, we want the horse to gently chew the bit. Right, And what we mean by chewing the bit is just very slightly moving the jaws and maybe the tongue just a little bit. Um, Not enough that the teeth gape apart, not enough that the the tongue comes out or anything like that, but just very gently to be chewing. We talk about chewing the bit, but they're not really chewing on the bit. They're just gently moving their mouth. Um, they'll salivate as they do that, and then as they chew, you get bubbles of air in the saliva, and that's what makes it look white and frothy. So, you know, they get that frothy white lipstick that we like to see from the combination of salivating and chewing. Okay. Does that um, explain it well?
0: Yes, yes, and so we have a question from Melissa. And so we've touched on discomfort in general and discomfort from the bit, but Melissa's question is specifically from the bridle, Is are there any signs that the bridle itself is making the horse uncomfortable rather than the bit?
1: Um, you may get a lot of head shaking and a lot of ear movement, you know, the ears going back out to the side. Uh, those could be signs of head pain. Um, but you know, other than that, I don't think horses are very good at specifically saying, this is where it hurts.
0: Yeah, it sure would be easier if they could just tell us. <laughs>
1: but They could just talk. You know, they say I being know. a veterinarian is like being a pediatrician.
0: Yeah. Yeah, have to have to uh, be really good at your craft. <laughs>
1: so, um, yes, nonverbal patients. <laughs>
0: Yeah. So we have a question from our live audience that's going back to riders' hands. Hannah wants to know if there's a system that's been developed for everyday riders to determine how much they're pulling on the reins.
1: Yes. Um, most of the research labs make their own systems, but there are two or three available. There's one from the Netherlands. I believe there's one from Australia. Some of these things sort of come and go on the market and it's a little bit difficult to keep up with them. But if you maybe do a Google search on rain sensors or rain tension, those kinds of things will probably come up with what you need. Trying to remember what the names of these things are and it's sort of gone right at this moment.
0: Well, we have another question from our live audience from Joan, and she wants to know how does the shape of the horse's palate or the width or size of the mouth affect bit choice? And that's probably a good time to touch on the mouth and what parts of the mouth are interacting with the bit.
1: Okay, so the bit goes from the corner of the lips on one side to the corner of the lips on the other side. And if you want to measure what width the bit should be, then you can use one of the commercial mouth width measuring tools that you can buy, or you can use a bit of doweling or even a piece of string to measure the distance between the corners of the lips measuring through the horse's mouth, obviously. And then the bit should be a little, I would say no more than half an inch, wider than that and if you're measuring for a double bridle then the bradoon will be just a little bit wider than the curb bit so that's the width of the horse's mouth then um, i'm going to talk about how to adjust the bit first because i think there was a question about that and then we'll go back to what structures the bits touching so um, you adjust the cheek piece so that the bit fits up into the corner of the lips, and I like to see one wrinkle at the corner of the lips. When you put the bit in the horse's mouth, if it's a jointed bit, it actually hangs downwards on the tongue. And one of the things I've noticed in my research that horses really don't like is to have the bit too low on their tongue. So I like to have the bit just up into the corner of the lips, And and make sure you look at that with the noseband tightened if you're using some kind of a drop um, or a flash noseband, right? Because that actually helps to hold the bit up into the corners of the lips. And then the other thing about the size of the bit is that years ago it used to be recommended that you should use a great big fat Mm -hmm. snaffle bit because that would put less pressure per unit area on the horse's mouth. But it turned out that now we've actually done some research on it, there really isn't room for a great big fat bit in most horses' mouths. So most horses prefer a much thinner mouthpiece. I mean, not so thin that it's um, you know like wire. And there are reasons why we have minimum uh, bit thicknesses for competitions but a, a, more, a, a thinner one rather than one that's huge and thick is mo- more comfortable for the vast majority of horses. Okay, So then what structures are in contact with the bit? Well if you look at a horse's mouth without a bit in it we have the floor of the mouth which we don't usually see because the tongue is inside that um, sort of furrow between the two mandibles. And then the roof of the mouse goes between the upper uh, sets of cheek teeth, and it looks ridged in the horse because there's a very vascular tissue in ridges over the actual bone. Now, in life, we talk about there being an oral cavity, but in fact, the horse's tongue normally completely fills that in quotes, cavity. And that's why there isn't a lot of room for a big, thick bit. So when the bit goes into the horse's mouth, it sits on top of the tongue, and then the tongue sort of squashes outwards a little bit and covers the bars of the mouth. That's the, um, the, the, the part with no teeth between the canine or the last incisor, depending on whether it's a male or female, um, and the first cheek. So that's the space where the bit fits, so it doesn't have to overlie any teeth. But in fact, the tongue usually cushions the bar from the effect of the bit. And then on top, we've got the palate. Now, some horses have a fairly horizontal palate. Some horses have a much more arched up palate. And the ones with the palate that arches upwards are a lot easier to fit with a bit because there's more space there and for some horses it's difficult for them to carry a single jointed snaffle because when you put tension on the reins the the way the bit changes shape is that it gets sort of narrower and the joint part pushes forward into the palate now some horses that's not a problem as we say and that tends to be the ones with the big arched palate whereas horses with the flat palate some of them find that very objectionable and that's where the double jointed bits are a better shape because of being a instead of being a v-shape that pushes into the palate they're actually sort of like a three-sided u that conforms a lot better to the shape of the tongue and you know in all the research i've done i think one of the things that horses really dislike is pressure on the palate
0: so how do you know what confirmation your horse has in their mouth? Because that's one thing that I found with mine. Like I, I read about a low palate or a fleshy palate. And so I started sticking my hands in her mouth. And I couldn't have told you compared to normal what it should have been like or what normal would be like. And since then, I've stuck my hands in a lot of horses' mouth. <laughs> um, but... Um, how can an owner know? Is it something that they can talk to their vet about when they're having a dental done? Um, should they be looking over their vet's shoulder and looking in the mouth and getting a chance to see how their horse's mouth is built? Are there any markers, landmarks, or or clues for
1: them? Well, you just answered the question for me, actually. Oh. Um, I think it's hard for the average person to know because we don't... Um, palpate or look at a whole lot of horses' mouths. And the people that do are the vets that specialize in dentistry. And so that's the person to ask the next time you get the horse's um, teeth floated. Ask the vet, well, how does this horse compare with other horses? in all the dimensions of its mouth, the size of its tongue, the curvature on the palate, all of those things give you something to talk about.
0: Well, I just find myself sticking my hand in everyone's horses' mouths um, uh, when they're not looking <laughs> to see. Um, yeah. Trying to create a, a baseline. Uh, you know, we should
1: understand. say to people: be very careful when you do that because yeah, those that's true. teeth can really mash your fingers. <laughs>
0: That's true. Yeah. If you're not used to sticking your hands in a horse's mouth, maybe be, don't or be very, very careful. But um, it's really been interesting, I think, because um, I had never really paid attention to the palate, especially. And now I have an idea with each of my horses, um, how different their mouths are. Um, and that I had always, and I think this is what we fall into as riders, you know, our trainer has a bit that they like, or we have a bit that we like, and we have a collection in different sizes. And I had all of my horses going in the same bit. And then now I know that that would be like having them all in the same saddle. um, And that definitely doesn't work for them. So anyway, side note into my-
1: I used to say in these talks, um, find yourself a friend or a trainer who has a big box of bits
0: yeah but now
1: i say bring in the bit fitter because they also have a you know huge box of bits but they also give you an evaluation of how the horse goes in each bit and they have been taught you know how to recognize the signs that the horse is more or less comfortable so you know that's their job
0: so we have another question from our live audience uh, And it's going back to bridle fit. Callie wants to know if lowering the head, chewing, and head tilting when putting on the bridle is a sign of discomfort, or is the horse just getting the bit to settle? So I guess she's talking about bit and bridle discomfort. So when you present the horse with the bridle, and they start doing that jaw movement and the sideways head tilt um, that I think, I know I've seen horses do that, and I've had my own do that. um, Is that a sign of discomfort?
1: Uh, I would look more at how the horse goes when he's in motion. And I think some horses are more sort of orally fixated than others. Some of them will sort of crunch on the bit and lift their tongue and move the bit around. But if that goes away when the horse is working, then I don't worry.
0: Uh, We have another question from our live audience. David says that he has heard people say their horse has a big tongue. Is it possible for a horse to have a large tongue or are horses tongues in proportion to their body size?
1: Well, good question. Um, I did once do a research study, not on the tongue, because tongues are hard to measure, um, but on the dimensions of the oral cavity in horses of different sizes, and those dimensions were not proportional to the size of the horse. So, you know, you could have a big draft horse that has a small mouth, or you could have a pony that has a great big mouth. I suspect that tongue size does differ. Um, I know it differs in dogs because I have a dog who has an enormously long tongue. And, (laughs) you know, (laughs) even when he's asleep, out between his teeth and I've got photos of him running with other bigger dogs and they've all got their tongues hanging out and his is way longer than anyone else so you know I don't see any, any reason why a horse couldn't have a different sized tongue than another horse
0: yeah. are there any predispositions between the breeds and in, in their mouth anatomy
1: not that I'm aware of. Like I said, I looked at horses of different sizes and they were of different breeds. Um, you know, we sometimes think of horses with small, petite heads and assume that they have small, petite mouths, but I think we should actually look at every horse individually.
0: Um, our next question is from Betsy in New Mexico. And uh, Bex- Betsy, is asking that you explain the pros and cons of a ported bit versus a snaffle and talk about how they work in the horse's mouth and also the height of the port. So can you explain to everyone the differences between a snaffle and a ported bit?
1: Okay, well, um, we have some snaffles that actually have like a tongue relief built into them. So we can think of there being really maybe three types. the totally non-ported, the ones that have a relatively low port that's designed to give space for the horse's tongue, and then the ones that have the bigger, higher port that um, can sometimes press against the palate. Right. So when I say a snaffle with a, um, a tongue tongue relief area, you might think of, um, what do you call it, a miler bit, Some of those have an elevation. And in dressage in the US, we have a limit of three centimeters for the height of that tongue relief. And that's measured from the underside of the actual bit to the top side of the um, tongue groove. So that would be a tongue groove. Now, port is something different. It's often narrower than a tongue groove and higher and sometimes they're set at an angle to the rest of the bit Um, so depending on the height of the port, the angle that it's at to the um, rest of the mouthpiece, and then things like the length of the shank on the bit, all of those can affect how that port acts. So if you have a long shank and a high port and you put tension on the reins, then that port is going to move forward and may contact the horse's palate, depending on the horse's conformation and the height of the port. And if it does touch the palate, we've already said that the palate is very sensitive, so sometimes people use that as a way to get a very sensitive reaction from the horse.
0: We have a question from Sarah, and she wants to know if there's a different way to measure a snaffle bit that is broken versus a bit like the ported bit or like a mullen mouth that is a solid mouthpiece. It does a horse wear the same size in those two different bits um, or? They generally
1: wear about the same size, yes. But as I said earlier, the snaffle, if it has one or more joints, it will tend to hang down a little bit on the tongue as as much as it can, um, given that the rings or the cheeks on the bit are sort of holding it in place against the lips.
0: Um, We have a question from our live audience. Uh, Rachel said that she has always uh, thought that the French link was a mild bit, but it has recently been banned from some competitions. Uh, Why would that be? Is it actually more harsh than she realized?
1: Well, yeah, the French link is or used to be at least defined as having the plate that would lie flat on the horse's tongue and the difference between that and a Dr Bristol is that the Dr Bristol has an angled plate. Now, the Dr Bristol, you can put it in two ways round and one way round the plate does actually lie flat on the tongue. And the other way round the plate is perpendicular to the horse 's tongue, so the French link doesn 't actually lie flat on the tongue it 's the Dr Bristol put in a specific way round that actually lies flat on the tongue so but we don 't allow in some disciplines don 't allow the Dr Bristol because it can be put in the other way round where it becomes a very harsh bit when the plate is perpendicular to the tongue so i think all all the time we're trying to protect the horse from bits that have edges on them that could possibly put more focal pressure onto the horse's tongue
0: so it looks like in our live audience we're getting quite a few questions about Bitless bridles. Um, so let's go ahead and touch on that. Do you have any uh, thoughts or comments on uh, going bitless or different options that people might have if they would like to go bitless?
1: I have no objection to people going bitless. Um, and in fact, you know, sometimes you have to use a bitless bridle if the horse has had, uh, say, had the end of his tongue cut off or something like that. Um, there are lots of different kinds of bitless bridles. Uh, And I think it's like bitted bridles, you know, you can try the one and find the right one for your horse. Um, Possibly there are people wondering why we don't allow bitless bridles in dressage competitions. And that's a, a question that comes up repeatedly. But there are so many of the dressage rules that are geared towards how the horse accepts the bit that you would really have to completely rewrite the rules to have bitless bridles. And I know it's been, you know, they've had competitions in one or two of the European countries, but I think it would be very difficult, given the way the rules are, to mix um, horses with bits and without bits in the same competition.
0: Um, We have a question from Darlene in Oregon. She wants to know if you can address the type of bit that would work best with different pallet types. So if you have a low pallet versus a high pallet, what kind of bit should you be looking for?
1: Well, I like to use a double jointed bit on those horses because as I said earlier, it has a kind of a U shape that fits to the tongue, but it also doesn't have the, the V that you get with a single jointed bit that tends to poke forward into the palette and then you know again it's worth trying some of the different double jointed bits there's the for instance the um, turtle top bits that are super um, smooth and level on the surface that goes next to the palette so that's one that's always worth trying
0: and so i think Mentioning the turtle top uh, leads to the next question, which would you touch on a little bit as far as bit thickness, but Gail is in BC, Canada, and she wants to know how have bits evolved over time?
1: Oh my gosh, they've evolved incredibly. When I was a kid, I can remember everybody pretty much had a single jointed snaffle mm-hmm. or maybe a pelum, um, and the bit didn't sit very well. I think most of them those days were egg butts. Um, they tended to be too wide for the horse's mouth, but you know, nobody cared. So we've evolved through I think the start of the kind of bitting revolution was the realization that a lot of horses would go better in a double-jointed bit for you know the reasons that I've talked about. But since then we've had this oh kind of whole revolution in bits where um, the manufacturers are trying to make it more and more comfortable for horses. And you now some of these new bits work and some don't work quite as well, but we don't know until we, we try them because horses are living things and they don't always behave predictably. But we have an enormous choice of bits these days, I think, you know to the point that it's kind of confusing to know where to start. So my starting point is with a fairly simple double-jointed snaffle.
0: And so for people who might not be familiar with the double-jointed, can you describe what that's like um, and what what they would look at if they're looking at a double-jointed snaffle bit?
1: Yeah. Um, So instead of just having the two arms or cannons of the bit meeting at that joint in the middle, and you know if you look at a lot of single jointed bits, the two arms are not equal in length, and often that joint isn 't even sitting in the middle of the horse 's mouth but i 'm digressing now, <laughs> so the double jointed bit has a little piece in the middle, and the early double jointed bits were um, the ones that had the flat plate, so like the French link. More recently, we've gone away from having a flat plate flat, flat plate, to having a more like a little oval lozenge. Mm-hmm. And originally that lozenge was kind of aligned with the canons of the bit. But then as we learned that the bit doesn't sit horizontally in the horse's mouth, it kind of hangs down a little bit. Then we got the slightly angled lozenge and now we have different shapes of lozenge like the turtle top that we talked about Um, so the turtle top has a small piece underneath where the um, cannons of the bit kind of articulate with it and then this flat top that looks a bit like a turtle shell except that it's not um, strongly arched so it's flat to lie um, against the palate hopefully uh, comfortably for the horse. So that's basically what the double jointed bit looks like. Now, what we have to realize is that the part of the horse's mouth where the bit is lying, the mandibles or the, the lower jaw bones actually get narrower there. If you look at a horse's skull or, well, the mandible, you'll see that it comes in and becomes quite narrow. So The part of the bit that's actually lying over the bone of the mandible is not the part out right against the the bit ring. It's almost halfway along each of the, the cannons of the bit. And what that means for the double jointed bits is that if the piece in the middle is too big, if it's like a third of the width of the bit, then we're going to have the joints sitting right over the bars of the mouth. So it's important that the little lozenge in the middle should be quite narrow.
0: Now, you had mentioned uh, an egg butt in one of your previous responses. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about the difference between how an egg butt, a loose ring, and a full cheek or a D-ring might work in the horse's mouth and how you pick between those for your horse, yeah.
1: Okay. Well, there are some differences with stability. So a bit that has cheeks, and especially if those cheeks are attached to the cheek piece with one of those little, you know, leather loops, there—that's a fairly stable bit in the horse's mouth. And for a horse that's quite, you know, mouthy and always playing with the bit, that's often a good alternative because it holds the bit very still and it holds it up quite high on the horse's tongue as well. Now, the the loose ring is probably the most popular these days. Um, There was one research study that showed that it had a little bit of a pulley action, actually pulling down on the pole, but that's not something that I think is a reason to use it or not use it. The loose ring allows the rein to slide and it allows the bit to slide over the the ring. Now, one thing to be careful of on these um, loose ring bits is that if you take your finger and feel around the edge of the bit cannon, like where it sits um, against the horse's lips, over time the loose ring sliding through there can actually give you quite a sharp edge um, that lies, as I say, on the um, the little ring. No, that's not the right way to say it. It lies in on the hole in the bit cannon that the ring is sliding through. And I've just had my husband actually um, file off the little sharp edges that can form there. So just something to be a little bit aware of that the bit can become quite the loose ring bits can become a little bit sharp in that area. Um, The egg butt doesn't allow the ring of the bit to move relative to the mouthpiece. So again, it's a little more stable than the loose ring bits. And there are also some horses that always seem to get sores on the side of the lips with a loose ring bit, um, and that are much better in the egg butt.
0: So we've had several questions come in from the live audience. Uh, Ed wants to know why it is a bit necessary for an average rider who isn't competing. Can't a hack more or a halter control a horse?
1: Um, A bit's not necessary. I don't know if I'd want to go out hacking on just a halter, although having said that, I once went on a tour in um, Australia and rode some very high-class endurance horses, and we rode those with just a loop round their necks,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: that seemed to go just fine. Uh, so, but for the, you know, the average, not terribly experienced rider, we've got to think about safety of both the horse and the rider. Um, and if they are totally comfortable on the horse that they have with a bitless, and, you know, a bitless is not totally benign let's say mm-hmm. when you use a bitless bridle and you have the same rein tension as you have in a bridle with a bit then the pressure is going somewhere usually onto the horse's nose and sometimes onto the pole with the bitless bridle and I've recorded extremely high pressures on the nose and the pole with certain types of bitless bridles so you know don't think they're totally um without the potential to do some damage to the horse uh so i keep digressing here i keep thinking of other things i want to tell you uh where was i so are people safe hacking out without a bit and i think that has to be an individual decision
0: yeah in, and okay. in ed's question he's saying hack more and i'm not sure if by that he means like a mechanical hack more that would have a chain and then leverage or if he's talking about like a hackamore that includes a bozal and a makate, which is a, a you know the western setup yeah. on a horse, which um, those are could be very nice, but in the wrong hands, they can be not so nice. Both the mechanical and and the uh, the bozals. So
1: um, that's right. Those are types of bitless bridles that can be quite coercive. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, We have a question from Louise, and she wants to know, how do you bit a horse that puts his tongue over the bit? Uh, She says, my horse does it when he's distressed about what he's being asked to do.
1: Yeah, and that's a difficult one. Um, First of all, make sure the bit is not too wide um, and that it's not adjusted too low, because if it's too wide and if it's too low in the horse's mouth, then it hangs down lower on the tongue and it's easier for the horse to get his tongue over the bit. Okay, so we need the bit that fits correctly. Um, I would use some kind of a drop or probably a flash noseband. Now, I'm not saying you've got to attach, uh, um, tighten it so much that it's digging into the horse's skin, but you know, a reasonably tightly adjusted noseband that will help to keep the mouth a little bit more closed because if the horse can open his mouth really widely then it's a lot easier for him to manipulate his tongue and get it over the bit and then um, what type of bit i think you would want to try maybe some different types of bits see if a bar bit you know an unjointed bit works um, better think- than a jointed bit carry on.
0: Oh, um, so I think that leads to the question from uh, Sharon in Michigan. Oh, are you there? Dr. Yes, Piten, I'm here. Can you hear
1: me? Yeah. I can hear you. Can you hear me? Okay, good.
0: Um so Sharon's Oh, good. Uh you faded out there for, for a second. Um but our next question oh, is from okay. Sharon in Michigan and she and she wants to know if how do you decide if a noseband is too tight? Um, is it just a matter of being able to slip a single finger under it, or is, are there other ways to tell?
1: Yeah, and this is a whole hot potato at the moment. Um, there is a tool available from the International Society for Equitation Science that was designed to measure noseband tightness. Um, there is a, a I don't want to call it a rule. We don't really know where this came from, but at some point, somebody said, you should be able to get two fingers under the nose band. The question is whose fingers and where under the nose band? So the International Society for Equitation Science measured a whole lot of people's fingers and sort of took the average and then made this little tool that slides up under the middle of the nose band, which was you know, one of the possible places to measure tightness. And in some countries, that's used as a gauge by the National Federation for measuring whether nosebands are too tight. Right? And the gauge comes measured in sort of half a finger, one finger, one and a half, two fingers. Um, in the US, we have been very cautious about measuring under the center front of the noseband. Because, you know, some horses, if you got this gauge up there and the horse opened his mouth, uh, he could whip the gauge out of a person's hand and possibly it could lead to, you know, some kind of adverse event. We absolutely, certainly do not want anybody putting their fingers under the middle of the noseband. You know, the same thing. If the horse opened his mouth, your fingers get trapped. He flings his head in the air. You break your fingers. There are people even had their fingers ripped off by that sort of incident so never never put fingers under the center of the nose band so where we measure it in the u.s is at the side of the nose band um more or less over the horse's teeth now that's an area where there's some soft tissue and it's a little bit easier to get your fingers in but it's also a place where your fingers are not going to get stuck underneath the noseband. Now, I mean, we can argue the noseband shouldn't be so tight that your fingers are going to get stuck. But if the horse does open his mouth, then it makes a difference and everything gets compressed then. Now, what was the question? <laughs> how tight should it be? Yeah, how tight, how tight should it be? Yeah, so a lot of people recommend this notion you should be able to get two fingers underneath it. Um, But there have also been people recommend that it should be loose enough that the horse can perform all normal oral behaviors, including things like yawning. And I personally don't actually think it needs to be quite as loose as that, but it certainly should not be tight enough to be indenting the skin of the horse's face. There should be just a little bit of laxity there. Now, when we do that, we have that little bit of laxity then if the horse is being ridden and he opens his mouth and the reason people tighten nosebands far too much is because they're trying to stop the horse opening his mouth but the idea that you're just physically stopping him with a a very tight noseband is contrary to our welfare ideas so if the noseband is just a little bit loose then if the horse opens his mouth the noseband becomes tight on his face. And as soon as he closes his mouth again, it becomes loose. So it's a form of negative reinforcement, which means that when the horse does the behavior that we want him to do, which is keep his mouth closed, then the pressure against his face goes away. So it's negative because it's taking away the pressure when the horse gives you the desired response.
0: So Dr. Clayton, for those of us who are dressage riders, I know I've cliniced with a lot of people and um, more often than not, they go to your flash and your crank and they want to tighten things down. What advice do you have for a horse owner or a rider uh, to help them advocate for their horses in those
1: situations? Yeah, that's uh, difficult because... You know, on the one side if you go to ride with somebody then you're going there to get their advice and their ideas and that kind of thing and for a lot of the things that they might suggest you know how you just you do it you try it but where the welfare of your horse is the the concern then i think you you have to speak up but You know, make sure that your noseband isn't so loose that it's totally ineffective because, you know, then you look a bit stupid saying, no, I don't want to tighten it any more than that when it's, you know, not putting any pressure on the horse at any point. So learn how tight it should be, adjust it like that. And if somebody tries to tighten it more, then I think you have a right to speak up for your horse.
0: We have a question from Leah in the live audience and she wants to know if you can describe how a double bridle sits in the horse's mouth and what challenges you might face fitting a double bridle on a horse with a smaller mouth.
1: Yeah, And I have to say that the, the problem that I run into most often is horses that can't accommodate two bits. Mm-hmm. And for you know years and years, I was very vocal about you know, why can't we ride horses in a snaffle bridle all the way through all the levels of dressage? And of course, we can now when it's under USEF rules, but not under FEI rules. But, you know, my idea was that, well, if the horse can't accommodate the double bridle, why would anybody care if we um, handicap ourselves by using a snaffle? And if you insist on a double, then you're really in a way selecting for horses with a big oral cavity rather than trainable dressage horses. Anyway, I got sidetracked again. Um, So the way the bits should sit in the horse's mouth is that the snaffle actually, or the bradoon, actually sits between the curb bit and the palate. Right, so it sits on top of the bradoon and it can actually affect the um, pressure that's being applied. by The two reins really work together, you know, they can affect each other because they're sitting right next to each other with one on top of the other. And I think that is probably why some horses can't tolerate it is because you've got the width of two bits, um, if you like, between the tongue and the palate. So now going back to what the question was, what was it, how do you fit them or? -hmm.
0: How do do you fit them or what do you do with a small
1: mouth? Oh, what do you do with the small mouth, right. So what I do with the horse that's not comfortable, I try adjusting one bit at a time up or down and then try adjusting the other bit up or down and just seeing if you can find a sweet spot where the horse thinks it's okay but sometimes there just you know isn't really an answer to it i've had some that didn't matter what i did i couldn't get them comfortable
0: Mm -hmm. so with those horses did you just end up showing at usef usdf shows rather than going to um fei sanctioned shows
1: Um, Well, me, I'm just showing at USEF shows anyway, Uh, but yes, I mean, for some um, high-level international riders, if the horse can't tolerate it, then they can't do it, and you know, that might be one of the reasons why some riders have such tight nosebands, because they can't find any other way um, to get the horse to accept the two bits, well, not that tight band is teaching the horse to accept them but uh, it's a non-welfare approved way of doing it.
0: Yeah we have a question from Vivian in our live audience and she wants to know if there is a bit material copper iron or rubber that horses accept better than others.
1: Oh and there's been all kinds of different bit materials that have come out and um, copper is put into the alloys that are used for bits because it has a slightly sort of sweet taste to the horses it sometimes um, and it causes them to salivate a bit more so there have been various bitting um, materials with different properties people like horses to salivate you know you don't want a horse with a dry mouth a, a wet mouth is i think more responsive um, is there something that horses prefer again you really have to try different things and there are some types like the happy mouse bit that we're allowed to use at some levels and by the way if you want to know what's currently allowed and not allowed in USES at least dressage competitions we have appendix a that has lots and lots of information and diagrams. This is where the, the pictures are. Um, so that's in the rule book. Anyway, um, onward. So yeah, it's a matter of, as with everything I've been talking about really, trying different things for your individual horse. And if he doesn't like the, well, uh, um, neutral as they're usually, salox is their um, metal, their alloy, or these again or Oregon that um, Herm Sprenger use or just stainless steel which is inert um, you know then try some of the sort of plastics or something else something different
0: Um, we have a question from our live audience from Linda and she wants to know what are the most comfortable style bridles for horses and we did have several questions asking specifically about uh, the Micklems and the PS Sweden bridles um, and some of the uh, anatomical bridles that are now being marketed, are, are those an improvement on traditional bridles?
1: Right, so just like the bit manufacturers are trying to give us bits that are more comfortable, the bridle manufacturers are trying to give us bridles that offload the parts of the horse's head that are more sensitive to pressure. So the areas where there are a lot of nerves or blood vessels, um, the bony prominences, we're trying to offload those areas. And I think the Micklin bridle is absolute genius. Ever since I got one, I just have loved it. So the things I like about it, it's shaped for the ears. You know, we try to just, um, let me have a drink of water shape it so that there's room at the back of the horse's ear. Now pressure on the back of the ears, that can cause some horses to just shake their heads frantically. So yeah, most bridles now are shaped around the ear, but make sure that if you're buying a bridle that the shape of their specific headpiece actually matches where your horse's ears are. Mm -hmm. So um, that's one thing, shape around the ear. And then the Miklum fits a little bit further back on the face, and it has that jowl strap that actually holds it back away from the nerves and the blood vessels and the, the facial crest. And then you know, I, I like the drop nose band that it has as well. So if you look at the design of the Miklum, and then compare it with you know, the PS of Sweden and all these, other new anatomical bridles they're really incorporating i think the same design principles but they're changing some of the aesthetics of the bridle so and oh aesthetics are important i think you should look at your own horse's head and try the bridle on and see if it's flattering for your horse and i always think it's strange you know sometimes the ads for the bridles show them on horses that they clearly don't flatter at all. So I <laughs> can't imagine why they would do that. But anyway, <laughs> so I, yeah, I like the Micklem. And I think the other anatomical bridles are, in a way, developing the same features as the Micklem. And you know, you can pick which one you like.
0: Um, We have a question from our live audience from Margie, who wants to know what's the difference in action between a drop noseband and a flash noseband?
1: Well, the drop noseband is fitting entirely around the skull and the mandible fairly low down on the horse's face. So it's further away from the horse's TMJ, which is where they Skull and the mandible articulate. So it's actually a more powerful um, noseband to keep the horse's mouth closed, if you like. Whereas, you know, the flash with its attachment on the front of the noseband is not having quite the same effect as the drop. Does that makes sense because it's attached higher in the front.
0: Um, Well, unfortunately, that is all the time. I just looked at the time, Dr. Clayton, and I realized that we had uh, come to the end of our time this evening. Um, So I wanna thank everyone for joining us tonight, and thank you, Dr. Clayton, for for your time. It's been a really interesting discussion. Hopefully, people have lots of things to think about, and we'll be looking more carefully at their bridles and their bits on their horses.
1: Well, that would be fabulous. somebody who learned something about how to fit bits and bridles. I hope so. Yeah.
0: Um, I want to thank everyone for listening, and I hope that you join us next time. And until then, from all of us at the horse, have a great night.